Hello. 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 And welcome to Mobilize. Mobilize is a podcast that puts a spotlight on and is a resource for people, people, friends, communities, and activists who have decided to stand up, resist, 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 fight back, mobilize. Each day, together, together, we shine a light on the we truth. Shine a light on the we truth. focus on the things that unite us. We pull each other up. We celebrate, we celebrate our, our shared humanity. Episode 18, No IDC NY. Things can move fast in New York state politics. When we began working on this episode a few months ago, the Independent Democratic Conference, or IDC, was a small coalition of Democratic state senators using their power to give Republicans a majority in the state Senate, allowing them to block progressive legislation, such as the DREAM Act and early voting. Last April, however, after the recording of this episode, the IDC announced it would disband and rejoin the Democratic Party, under pressure from liberal groups and activists. Critics of the move remain skeptical, citing previous claims by the IDC that it would disband, only for them to reform after the elections. So what is the Independent Democratic Conference? And why does it still matter so much in the upcoming Democratic state primaries? To find out why, we talked to Eve Proper, a professor and member of Rise and Resist, a group opposed to government acts that threaten democracy, equality, and civil liberties. Let's listen to her to find out. The IDC is the Independent Democratic Conference. It is a group of eight Democratic senators in the New York State Senate who run as Democrats. They run on the Democratic line. And when they get to Albany, they do not caucus with their fellow Democrats. Instead, they have formed an alliance with the Republicans in the Senate, which gives the GOP a very slender majority in the state Senate. And this is an issue because, of course, New York has a Democratic governor. The assembly is two-thirds Democrats. And the Senate then becomes the block to passing progressive legislation here in New York. You assume that the majority party is the one whoever has the most warm bodies in the room, so to speak. But it's not what you run as. It's how you form a ruling coalition, which gets a little complicated. So basically what happens is the beginning of the legislative session which is every two years, they all get up to Albany and they say, hey, if you want to be a Republican, go stand over there. And if you want to be a Democrat, go stand over there. So basically half the room goes up and stands over on the Republican side. All the Democrats go stand on the Democratic side, so to speak, except for these eight Democrats who choose to sit things out. The IDC basically says, you know, leave us out of the process. And so even though there are technically one more Democrat than Republican in the, in the Senate, because they choose to stay out of the process, the Republicans end up having the most people standing on their side of the room. And that's how the majority is determined. So the Republicans, because they have the majority control of the Senate, even if they don't have the majority members, have this alliance with the IDC and they pick all the committee chairs. So every committee chair is either a Republican, a IDC member, or Simka Felder, who is another Democrat who caucuses with the Republicans on his own. 
So the deal is the committee chair can decide whether or not something goes up for vote. Is that correct? So a bill gets introduced in either the Senate or in the Assembly. It either passes or doesn't pass in that legislative chamber. And then if it passes, it goes to the other chamber. But there's an assumption I think a lot of people make is that every bill that makes it over there gets voted on. And that's not true. It goes into a committee. So if it's a health care bill, it goes into a health care committee. If it's a banking bill, it would go into a finance committee. And the committee decides whether or not that bill then goes to the floor. And this is where things get hung up in the Senate because a bill will go into the committee and die. It never makes it out onto the floor. So even though IDC members will say, hey, I support, say, a woman's right to choose or I support the DREAM Act, those bills never make it onto the Senate floor to get voted on. And why is it that they don't make it to the Senate floor? Why do they die in committee? Theoretically, an IDC member who is a committee chair could let a bill out of their committee, but their power is contingent really on not using their power. So they would, their alliance would probably be broken if they went against what the Republicans wanted. I think that in itself is something that a lot of people don't realize in New York, that ultimately it's just the committee chair who decides what goes up for vote in, in the Senate. What do you think the IDC thinks they are doing? Why does the IDC exist, as far as you can tell? There's two different cases to be made. One is the one they make themselves, and they say that by working with the Republicans, they can get things passed that wouldn't pass otherwise. The problem with that argument, as far as I'm concerned, is that, one, the things we do get passed are very watered down. So the Raise the Age bill that got passed last year was a very weakened version of what people were proposing. Same thing with raising the minimum wage. The other thing is the IDC doesn't kick back against the Republicans very much. They very rarely disagree with them outright. And so they're not using the little bit of power that they have to actually reach more progressive agreements. The thing the IDC does get that's incontrovertible is that they get more power, both for themselves and for their districts. So they get bigger offices, they get committee chairmanships that they wouldn't have otherwise, they get access to their own caucus housekeeping account, which is not supposed to be run for elections, supposed to be only for Senate business, but that still gives them larger staffs and more power and money that they can use. And it allows them to bring more money back to their districts. So there's an interesting conundrum to being in an IDC district in that progressive legislation that would benefit the entire state is not being passed, but your senator is bringing home money to renovate a school or to improve a senior center. There's some things about Albany that don't make a lot of sense, right? You would think theoretically every senator should be able to bring some things home to their district, but it's, it's not equally apportioned. The Republicans know they're indebted to the IDC. They know that if the IDC said we're actually going back and being fully democratic. Sinka Felder, who's the other rogue Democrat, has said he would go back with them. So then there would be a one-vote Democrat majority, and the Republicans would lose power. So the Republicans know that they owe the IDC. So this is basically what they're giving to them in exchange for their support. Is that legal? Can the Republicans just say, here's a bunch of money, don't caucus with the Democrats? Well, they don't, they don't flat give them, give them money. They write them into the rules of the Senate. So, for example, if you actually Google the rules of the New York State Senate, you can, there's a PDF you can download, and it's written in that for the next two years, the ruling coalition of the Senate is the GOP and the IDC, and that committee chairmen are chosen jointly by John Flanagan, who is the head of the GOP in the Senate, and Jeff Klein, who is the head of the IDC. It's totally legal. So what happens is that we have John Flanagan representing about half of the Senate, and we have nobody representing the Democrats, and Jeff Klein representing the eight people of the IDC. So his power is absolutely outsized compared to the representation in the Senate. 
from what I can see at least, the IDC claims that their agenda is incredibly progressive and they believe that this is a better way to get it passed. Why is that? I don't think the IDC exists because they're particularly more progressive than the rest of the Democrats. Some of them, like Alcantara, seems to be fairly progressive. Other members are not in the IDC caucus. The IDC came into being in 2011. There was a sort of schism in the Democratic Party. Part of it comes out of the fact that Jeff Klein really wanted to be Senate leader and they would not vote for him. They did not want him to be the Senate majority leader. And he kind of said, I'm taking my toys and going home. And he, along with Diane Savino, David Oveleski, and David Carlucci, were the first four members of the IDC back in 2011. And because the Democrats have such a slender majority, they're able to play this sort of pivot point where they can say, you know, we're throwing our weight one way or another if we don't get what we want. Why is it that the, the Assembly is so solidly Democratic, yet the state Senate is not? You would think that they would reflect each other. Why is it so disparate? There's a big difference between the Senate and the Assembly by design. For many years, there was a philosophy that the Assembly ought to be Democratic and the Senate ought to be Republican. Now, where this idea came from, I have no idea, but it was, I mean, for the last 50, 60 years, this has been the philosophy in New York State. And lines for elections have been drawn trying to make that happen. And so it's gerrymandering. If you look at a lot of the IDC districts, they make no sense. So Alcantara's is actually logical in the northern end. She has Inwood and the northern tip of Manhattan. But then she's got this little strip of like Riverside and Broadway down the very western side of Manhattan, but not the rest of the west side, just that little bit by Riverside and Broadway. And then this little scorpion tail that curls in like Penn Station is actually in her district. I mean, it makes no sense from a compactness or cohesive demographic group point of view. So these districts are very much drawn to make districts be the blue district or the red district, or even in some cases, you know, the Hispanic district or the black district or the white district. So can you give me some of the issues that you think, if there was a Democratic majority in the state Senate, what kinds of laws do you think would pass and would you like to see get passed? So some of the big issues that are getting stopped by the IDC, and a lot of these are bills that have been passed by the Assembly, by the way, and presumably the Como would sign if they came to his desk, but they're getting stopped in the Senate. They include you know, whether we're a sanctuary state, uh, the DREAM Act to protect um, immigrants and to enable them to have, be able to go to college and, and that kind of thing. Healthcare is a big one. We see it under siege at the national level. The right to birth control, for example, the right to be able to get healthcare no matter who you are. There's a lot of movement towards universal healthcare, and it's passed the Assembly, but it hasn't passed the, the Senate. There's this proposal for the IDC to join the Democratic caucus again, rejoin the Democratic caucus, and I've heard a lot of pushback about that. Why would that be a bad thing for the IDC to rejoin the Democratic caucus? Wouldn't that give us the majority that we seek faster than than primarying them? The problem with the deal is it's not actually a deal to get them to rejoin the Democratic caucus. They would not be Democrats. They would be a separate caucus that have, has a deal much like they do with the Republicans right now. So they would have, instead of having one Senate majority leader, which under the Democrats would be Andrea Stewart-Cousins, the first African-American and female leader in the New York Senate ever, it would be a co-leadership position, Jeff Klein, Andrea Stewart-Cousins together. They could reject each other's deputies. They would jointly have to approve bills to go forward and committee chairs. So it really gives the IDC outsized power, just like they have now, rather than them becoming a part of the Democratic body. Now, it's absolutely true, I think, that some bills might get through under their leadership, right? But other bills would not. So the IDC is, in particular, they receive a lot of money from real estate interests. So tenant reform would be off the table because the IDC wouldn't let it through, whereas we could probably get something through related to 
women's health. That being said, the state Democratic Party can play a role in how they choose to support incumbents or or challengers to the IDC. And this has become an issue with this so-called deal that's on the table. One of the things that it takes off the table is they say, okay, if the IDC comes back and co-leads with the Democrats, we will not support any challengers to them. And that support could include monetary support, although frankly, the state Democrats have put very little money towards senatorial elections. But it also would mean they couldn't endorse each other and work for each other's campaigns. So they'd be sort of tacitly endorsing who's already there. If they chose to, certainly the state party apparatus, including folks like Como, um, including Jeff Berman, who's the, the director of the New York State Democrats, and the party themselves could put money and effort towards defeating the IDC, but they've chosen not to. The IDC is an interesting position because they've never really had to defend themselves before because no one's been paying attention. You know, it was a few cranks, I think, in their mind complaining about the IDC and nobody really cared. And now all of a sudden, there's a lot of grassroots antagonism towards them. One thing they keep emphasizing is their voting records, saying, I vote for the right things, which in most cases might be true, but it hides the fact that they don't get to vote on a lot of other things. There's an irony in that IDC members actually will sponsor legislation that doesn't make it to the floor because of their alliance with the GOP. What are the actions that you're taking in regards to the IDC? As much as I'm proud to be a member of Rise and Resist and a member of the 2018 elections group is that none of this is a solo effort. There's a lot of groups who are working mostly in concert on this. You know, we have our own initiatives and our own approaches, but um, this has to be a mass issue or it will never get any traction. And so all of these different groups are really important to the fight. So the biggest action we've been taking, and I think this is true of all the other organizations as well, is educating people. People don't know what the IDC is. When you explain it to people, almost everybody gets angry right away. They're like, I can't believe that my senator, who's supposedly a Democrat, is doing this to me. But they can do it because there's so little attention to it. The biggest victory, I think, is that the word is getting out there. The other thing that's happening is people are declaring to run against these IDC candidates as Democrats. And particularly in some of these districts, I'm in District 31, where Senator Alcantara is a member of the IDC. This is, this is a very blue district. A Republican has no chance of winning it. So it's completely decided in the primary. And she won her primary by a very, very slim margin. Mm-hmm. And she was able to get into office. But now, now she's the incumbent, so that gives her an advantage. But it's, it's not good for the voters. Within a year, we'll have elections for the state Senate. So my dream is that all eight members of the IDC get primaried out and that some of the seats flip. So, for example, Russ Barkin's running against Marty Golden for one of the seats that's currently Republican. I'd love to see the Democrats have a clear and solid majority in the state Senate so that a trick like the IDC can't be pulled again. You can't pull it in the assembly because 106 of 150 members are Democrat. Um, But we need a true majority in the Senate. One last note. As I mentioned at the start of the episode, the IDC announced it would disband last April, a promise similar to one they made and then backed away from after the elections in 2014. Currently, the IDC's former leadership is keeping its finances separate from the Democratic Party and using it to fight off primary challengers to their campaigns, even though the state Supreme Court has ruled this violates campaign finance laws. Will they really disband this time? If you want to make that choice for them, vote against IDC members in the Democratic state primaries on September 13th. To find out who your state senator is and more about the candidates challenging IDC members, visit noidcny.org. That's noidcny.org.
To share your story with us here at Mobilize, visit mobilizehere.com. Thanks for listening. Raise